Hi, I'm Allie Raisman. I've been living with migraine for a while. As an athlete and gymnast, I was taught to just power through the pain. Now I use Ubrelvi or Ubrojapan to treat my migraine attacks. As soon as I feel a migraine attack, I take Ubrelvi, which provides me with quick relief. Once I get relief, I go on with my day. I'm partnering with Ubrelvi to share my migraine story. Ubrelvi quickly stops migraine in its tracks within two hours without worrying where you are. Most people had quick pain relief within two hours. Ubrelvi treats migraine attacks in adults and is not for prevention. It's available by prescription only. Do not take Ubrelvi with strong CYP3A4 inhibitors. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take. Most common side effects are nausea and tiredness. My hope is that by sharing my migraine story and the relief I get from Ubrelvi, it can help someone else. Ask your doctor about Ubrelvi, the anytime, anywhere migraine medicine. Learn more at ubrelvy.com or call 844-4-U-B-R-E-L-V-Y. Sponsored by AbbVie. I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? Explain to me. No, you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's It's not. It's an illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble. And I know it. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who we have tonight? I, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. Hi, I'm Allie Raisman. I've been living with migraine for a while. As an athlete and gymnast, I was taught to just power through the pain. Now I use Ubrelvi or Ubrojapan to treat my migraine attacks. As soon as I feel a migraine attack, I take Ubrelvi, which provides me with quick relief. Once I get relief, I go on with my day. I'm partnering with Ubrelvi to share my migraine story. Ubrelvi quickly stops migraine in its tracks within two hours without worrying where you are. Most people had quick pain relief within two hours. Ubrelvi treats migraine attacks in adults and is not for prevention. It's available by prescription only. Do not take Ubrelvi with strong CYP3A4 inhibitors. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take. Most common side effects are nausea and tiredness. My hope is that by sharing my migraine story and the relief I get from Ubrelvi, it can help someone else. Ask your doctor about Ubrelvi, the anytime, anywhere migraine medicine. Learn more at ubrelvy.com or call 844-4-U-B-R-E-L-V-Y. Sponsored by AbbVie. One of the questions I'm asked most frequently about the predator investigations is, do you ever feel sorry for these guys? And there are a few cases where I really do feel sorry for the predators. They're sad. One we talked about recently, the 
Rolando Restacruz case, the Iraq war veteran who got into the POW position when I was interrogating him after his appearance at our predator house in Georgia. Now, he was capable of doing great harm to a child, and you have to ask what would happen if I wasn't there and a child was, and I think we know the answer. There would be the rape of a child. But the other case that sticks out in my mind is perhaps the most sad, the most tragic, perhaps the one for whom I'm the most sympathetic is Michael Seibert. Michael Seibert, if you recall, is the 26-year-old who showed up twice in our investigation. Now, that doesn't make me feel sorry for him. He's a creep. He's a danger to society. He would have raped a child, and even worse, if you can imagine that. And I'll get into that in a minute. But when you talk about the root cause of someone's evil intent and whether or not they can control their actions, I think Michael Seibert creates the perfect discussion. Because here's a guy who clearly had issues beyond impulse control beyond an inappropriate drive to have sex with a child. Michael Seibert is a case, and maybe we'll never know the truth here, but Michael Seibert is a case where obviously significant damage had been done to this human being. And I'll tell you why I think that in a minute. But if you don't know, Seibert was the fellow who we first met in Riverside County, California. And Riverside, as you may know, was our third investigation, but the first one where we collaborated with law enforcement, in this case, the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. 51 men surfaced over three days in this investigation, a record for all predator investigations, 17 years later, still. So many guys showed up that when we put together the final product, the two-part episode, if you will, two-hour episode for Dateline, that Cyber really didn't have a big role. And I'll explain that in a second. He was in the cast, obviously. He was a sad sack of sorts. But in terms of all the really horrifying characters who surfaced in the Riverside investigation, he was pretty far down the list for a number of different reasons. Remember, we had the teacher, we had the repeat offender, we had people from the film TV industry, we had real characters who were in some ways larger than life, of great interest to our viewers, of great interest to me, of great interest to law enforcement. So Cybert was sort of, in the scheme of things in Riverside, one-dimensional. He came in after a sexually charged chat, and I'll get into that in a moment as well, to meet a 13-year-old girl. Online, he was Bud448002. He was chatting with a 13-year-old girl named Eva Great. And when you look at the chat, he doesn't even mess around. He's not intellectually capable of, you know, the sort of grooming that we see that I think is really dangerous, this charismatic ability for an adult to gain the confidence of a child and build a relationship that would lead to 
have sex with the child. He's just blunt force. Now, I honestly don't recall how deeply I got into Seibert's transcripts at the time of the Riverside County investigation because, to be honest, it was just all happening so quickly. It was fast and furious. So by the time we got to Seibert, a day or so into the investigation, this guy walks in, and I see him in the monitor, and he's confused, a little bit dazed, and I approach him. And I see this big scar on the side of his head, like a horseshoe. And I can tell intellectually he's not all there. And he's desperate to use the bathroom. Pain, you can tell he's really got to urinate. I mean, he's just got that look about him. Every man knows this look when they really have to go. And he was desperate. Now, I didn't want to let him use the men's room because it creates all kinds of issues. We had other guys coming. This guy goes into the restroom. What if he barricades himself? Then we've got that problem. Doesn't come out. And my inclination at the time is because we've got so many other guys coming because he is a lesser character in the great scheme of things, I'm going to dispense of him as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So we have a little bit of a back and forth. I actually sit him down and talk to him for a few minutes. And then we move him out of there on to more interesting characters. But then, then it would be easy to dismiss him as a predator, a bad guy, limited intellectual capability, somebody who needed help more than punishment. But then eight months later, and we'll get into all the details in a minute here. Eight months later, he shows up in another predator investigation in Long Beach, California, Michael Cyber. The same screen name, Bud 448002, talking to another decoy posing as a 13-year-old girl. And this gets even more outrageous now that I've had a chance to look back into it. So he's going to make the movie this time. But let's talk about Riverside just for a second first so we can set the stage. His chat in Riverside can only be described as blunt force. And I'll give you a sample of that right now. 12.26 a.m., he contacts the decoy. Says his name, age, at the time he was 25, he was about to turn 26. By the time he was sentenced, he was 26. She identifies herself as being 13 years old, female, Miraloma, Riverside County. Right off the bat, He says, do you have tits yet? First line, opening line. Second opening line. The decoy, by the way, says, I don't got big ones. Right after that, do you shave pussy hair? 13-year-old girl, do you play with it? The decoy tries to be coy. He says, do you have a boyfriend? No, not right now, she says. Have you had sex before? D-E-F-O-R. Yeah, she says. How it good? Does mom know about it? How old was the guy? He asks. Where are you from? She says again, Miraloma. Duh. Now, it's clear that he's not the most intelligent predator. But he is determined. Do you want sex? Do you have more pick of you? Who's home? My parents, she says. Asks if mom owns the house. 
or rented. So he may be dim-witted or intellectually diminished, but he's dangerous. He can formulate questions about sex. He can understand, presumably, that this is a 13-year-old girl, asks for her email. What's a better pick? What do you dress like? Wants to know what color of underwear she wears. Would you ever meet me, he asks. Again, talks about having sex. She talks about condoms and the fact that she doesn't want to get quote-unquote preggers. He asks, what is preggers? You know, pregnant, having a baby. And he's right back at the sex talk. Where will we have sex? My house, she says. How, where, do it without mom and dad finding out? They'd be at work, she says. Are they there now? On the weekend, after New Year. Yeah, they are. They're on vacation this week. And there's more talk about the date and when they're going to show up and what they're going to do. And there's also talk about a threesome. He wants to know if she's got a friend who would like to be involved in sex. And then he shows up. Now, when this episode aired, actually it was two different episodes because there were so many guys in Riverside. But when the Riverside episodes aired, Michael Seibert had a very limited role. You basically saw him show up. He was, I guess you could say, part of an ensemble cast. But after he surfaced again in in Long Beach, we resurrected some of the confrontation with him. Hey, sir. Come on over here for a minute, please. And so let me give you a sense of what he said when I did confront him in Riverside, the part that never aired. And why did you send pictures of your self like this to her? Boots. Boots. And we'll never do it again. Huh? And you say a lot of uh, sexually charged things to her for a 13-year-old girl. I know what I did wrong. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, never happened again. Go ahead, you can leave. Sorry about that. Okay. And this is the first time he utters the line that would become iconically attached to Michael Seibert. Oops. Oops. That's the best excuse he could come up with. Oops. And off he goes. Get out of the He's arrested by the Riverside County Sheriff's Department. He's charged with crimes associated with trying to have sex with a minor. And he is let out on bail. And at that time, back in 2006, that was pretty much all we knew about Michael Seibert. But then, as I mentioned, eight months later, we're in Long Beach, California, doing another investigation. In this one, 38 men surfaced. Long Beach was interesting for a number of different reasons. We drew, as we did in Riverside, men from all over the greater Los Angeles area, but also farther out into California. Long Beach PD had a very dedicated force, a lieutenant who was proactive in this sort of crime and a very professional force. And again, we could barely keep up with 38 guys over three days. And in the course of this investigation, Here comes Michael Seibert. And we know it's him. Perverted Justice knows it's him because he used the same screen name 
And he's chatting again with a decoy, a perverted justice decoy, posing as a 13-year-old girl, using the same sorts of lines. And I'm trying to get my arms around this at the time, thinking, what kind of a human being does this, gets caught, arrested, gets out on bail, and goes back and does it again? Now, it's not the first time we had John Kennelly in Washington, D.C. area do that showed up naked one night and then surfaced again in a chat room a day later. I caught him at McDonald's trying to meet another boy. That was shocking. We've seen different predators contact multiple decoys online. In fact, Michael Seibert himself was talking to three other decoys posing as teenage girls besides the two he showed up to meet. So we're ready for Michael In Long Beach. And he initially talks to the decoy about showing up on a Friday night, Friday afternoon. But he can't because he says he's got a court date. Now, the court date, wait for it. The court date is from the Riverside County arrest. And he admits this in the chat with the decoy that he was caught before. In fact, he asks the decoy are you a cop? Decoy says, no, of course. So here comes Michael Seibert on a Saturday night through the door at our home in Long Beach, California. Now, in addition to all that, as if we need more, we learn that he was arrested on a separate case unrelated to our predator investigations, he was arrested for a violent assault of a man and served a year in jail. So now there's no more feeling sorry for Michael Seibert. He is a danger to children. He is a danger to the community. He's got a violent criminal past. And this is the second time he surfaced in one of our investigations. And he has set this in motion by a very direct, as I mentioned earlier, blunt force sexual chat. There's no nuance there. You would hope that anybody online would detect this, that would sense that, you know, this is not a good guy to hook up with. We don't know whether or not he had ever hooked up with another child, but he wasn't out there looking for adults to meet online. He was specifically targeting children. So who knows? What I do know is that he walked into our home on a Saturday night in Long Beach. Who's all here? Just me. Oh. Promise. My parents are gone. You know, you look familiar to me. Oops. That's right. Oops. He did it again. If what you've heard shocks you so far, join us back in a moment. In the first investigation in Riverside, Michael had sent pictures of his genitals to the girl he thought was 13. As we mentioned, it was a very sexually charged conversation. And he did the same thing in Long Beach. But we're not going to let him get very close to the onside decoy this time because we know he's got this propensity towards violence. So I come out pretty quickly. And you heard what I said to him. 
I asked him if he recognized me, and I couldn't tell whether he actually did or not, but he gives me his oops response. And he doesn't look dangerous, but again, we know what's in his background. So I get right into the interview with him, and I'm watching him closely. And there's a disconnect between what he's capable of doing and his reaction to the trouble he is in. He reverts to this childlike state. And you saw it when he was being interviewed by the Riverside County Sheriff's Department, and you see it again when he's being interviewed by me. He had told the Riverside County Sheriff's Department that he had been dropped or suffered a fall as a child, and that's where that scar came from. His lawyer later said that he's got severe mental intellectual issues. He has difficulty understanding the difference between right and wrong. But I know that he's in my house, my predator house in Long Beach, and he's there to rape a child. And when he walks in, he he is smart enough to ask who else is home. And the decoy says, just me. And then listen to some more of my interaction with Michael. Michael, right? Oops, sorry. Do you remember who I am? Can't, can't get spell. What are you doing here, Michael? I'm sorry. You were just in court on Friday, right? Mm-hmm. And what happened in court on Friday? He said more time. More time before the next court date. Yeah, I'm sorry what I did. Okay. But you got to explain to me why or how you thought it was okay after having a court date stemming from our last visit... And then, within 24 hours, you show up at this house to meet another young girl? What are you thinking about? He apologizes. But he's intelligent enough to suggest to me that he didn't want to do anything, but she kept IMing him, which we know is not true because we have the transcripts. And he specifically, again, brings up this notion of a three-way of oral sex, of anal sex, and the fact that he needs sex. And he's there. He's rubbing his head. He's giving me monosyllabic answers, sometimes just grunting. He has said before to investigators that he's prone to seizures. So I'm watching for that because half of me thinks that this guy is going to have a seizure or go into some sort of a fit. So I'm pushing to get information, but I don't necessarily want to push him over the edge. Now, Michael, you know this is not right to do this, right? We had this very same conversation in Riverside, California. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. And right then, you told me that you knew this was wrong. I know. And that you would never, ever do it again. And that turned out to be a lie, didn't it, Michael? I promise this time, if you rip it up, I'll never come back. I promise this time, if you rip it up, meaning the transcripts and the picture that he sent of his genitals, he'll never do it again. I, you know, can't believe that. Look at the situation. Look at the totality of it. This guy, within minutes, if he was let go, most likely would be right back online doing exactly what he's been doing. And again, it turns out that not only had he chatted up a decoy from perverted justice in Riverside and here again in Long Beach, but three other perverted justice decoys. Now, I know when he walks in there that Saturday night at Long Beach about this assault, 
So I ask him about it. And he admits it. And I ask for details. What was the deadly weapon you used in the assault? Bat. And who did you go after with the bat? Some guy? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to tell me, Michael? I know I did wrong. You did wrong. And he says he used a bat to beat some guy up. Sheepish as he is. Now, I know that he's used a baseball bat to beat up a guy outside a restaurant or a bar. There was some altercation. And I don't know whether he argued it was self-defense or people were picking on him because of his slow appearance. But court obviously found that, you know, there was enough evidence after his guilty plea to send him away for a year. I mean, it's a baseball bat beating. I announce, or better yet, I remind him who I am. And it's not clear throughout my interaction with him whether he actually knows it's me. This is for a television investigation. But he does know that he's in trouble because once I announce who I am, and you can listen to that now. Can you go? Michael, you can go. But I'm going to remind you that I'm Chris Hansen with Dateline NBC, and we're doing another story on adults who try to meet kids on the internet for sex. You I know I did wrong. You can go. You can go right now. You can walk right out that door. You need cops out there? That's not up to me, Michael. It is. I'm not the police. So why don't you go ahead, Michael? It's time to go. He clearly asks about the police. He's got his hands over his the side of his head, sort of covering his face in a way. And he doesn't want to leave. In fact, we have to prompt him. Ron Knight, my security guy, has to prompt him. And the police are waiting. And they know that they could have a handful here. And they arrest him. Is he in the bathroom? Michael, you're going to have to go outside. I know. I hear him. Michael Seibert is taken into custody and once again is charged with crimes associated with him surfacing in our investigation. So, was he a misguided 26-year-old who suffered a head injury, couldn't control his actions, didn't know better? No, Michael Seibert is dangerous. It's a sad case, but he's dangerous. And think about this. What happens if Michael Seibert shows up at this house? And what happens if there is a 13-year-old girl and he wants to have oral sex and anal sex and a three-way and all this activity that he is demanding? And what happens if the 13-year-old girl decides that she's in over her head and she doesn't want to do it? Does Michael Seibert revert to his violent past? Does he grab a baseball bat? Does he then beat this child? That's my fear. And that's why even though Michael Seibert appears to be a sad case, he is absolutely a danger to the community. Little is known about Michael Seibert right now. He served 42 months in prison for both the Long Beach and the Riverside crimes. There was a little bit of disappointment in Long Beach that the judge wasn't a little more severe with his sentences. Remember, this was still early on in the predator investigations. And I think there was in some jurisdictions, a few of the many in which we worked, that this was a a television investigation 
and therefore less of a law enforcement investigation. I don't buy that. There was also this sense that, okay, there really wasn't a victim. Well, there would have been a victim. And I think of any case, and there are many which prove it, I think the Michael Seibert case proves it, that these guys are very much a danger to children. So Seibert apparently, as best I can tell, is living with his parents. He said at the time of his first arrest in Riverside that he's living with his mom out on the West Coast and that she was going to kill him. He is a registered sex offender for life. And at least in that regard, law enforcement keeps track of him. But I would argue that he's still a danger. And that is why it's important to occasionally check these registered sex offender lists and see who's out there. I know law enforcement takes it seriously. And I think we all need to. As you know, I ask for your questions, your input, your interaction with this podcast. And and I've been overwhelmed with all the audio files you've been sending, which I truly, truly appreciate. And I do read all the email and I listen to the audio files. Now, we actually, as you know, did a whole episode with questions and we'll do another at some point. Just because you haven't heard your question yet doesn't mean I haven't heard it. We can only do one an episode. But we'll do more, and ultimately I'll get to him. And I'm overwhelmed, quite honestly, with the response and and really the intelligent questions. And to be honest with you, the very flattering response to this podcast. But this week's question comes from Riley in Virginia. Take a listen. Hi, Chris. This is Riley from Christiansburg, Virginia. Just want to say that I've been a watcher and listener for a long time, and I've really admired your work, and I hope you keep it up. To keep my question brief, I want to ask, at what point in your life did you realize that you wanted to do what you're doing, which is catching online predators, and what made you realize that? Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Riley. I guess when I first realized I wanted to do the Predator series was when I started reading in hearing anecdotal cases of children being victimized online. There were a couple of high profile cases. And I knew it was a story as a crime reporter for, you know, 20 some years at that point. I knew it was an important story, but the question is how do you infiltrate this world? You know, we've done hidden camera investigations around the world on varying topics, but this one needed some creativity. And it was really at that moment in 2004 when a friend of mine called to tell me about Perverted Justice, the online watchdog group. And I started to think if we could use our ability to wire a house with hidden cameras and microphones and then use Perverted Justice's ability as decoys, it could be very compelling. Now, I didn't know it was going to work, and I certainly didn't know it was going to turn into the, the iconic series that it did. And we're out doing new investigations as we speak 17, 18 years later. But I did think it had potential. And boy, did it. Because not only did we expose online predators, but we took people inside the commission of a felony in a way that nobody really had done it before. Obviously, there had been great hidden camera undercover investigations by journalists going back generations. And I had done stuff over the years that I thought was pretty compelling using hidden cameras and investigative enterprising techniques. But this really 
was a first for me because it allowed me to combine, you know, my streetwise talents, fast talking, being able to operate on my feet pretty well with, you know, an incredible team of producers and senior producers and, and really a lot of smart people weighed in on this thing to make it what it became. And once we did it, I still didn't think it would become a full series. I thought it'd be a one-off, you know, maybe we'd do one more for Dateline because why would these guys keep showing up once we did a story on it? But again, 17 years later, I'm having a meeting to set up the next investigation, which we'll have news on soon. But thank you very much for that question. I appreciate it. I encourage all of you to reach out to me at chris at predatorpodcast.com. You can find me on Cameo as the holidays approach on the YouTube channel where we have a sampling of some of the new investigations. Have a seat with Chris Hansen as well as some other content. Discovery Plus, a couple series there and a couple more on the way. And in the meantime, as you know, I'll be watching and listening. <laughs>